mm. and I'm sitting literally down the street from in New York from where I'm going to meet this person in an hour, cursing his name, <laughs> reading this book, like, are you, <laughs> sir? And the only reason I didn't cuss him out on site is because there were other people there. <laughs> and he's really tall. You know, on the subject of a stump on depression <laughs> and sadness, should we talk about the cinematic adaptations of the Chronicles of Narnia? Um, first of all, thou shalt recant everything <laughs> you're about to say because there is nothing wrong with them. They are flawless. Except that they were made. I will can, beat can we talk every about person. reading first and be a little bit lighthearted <laughs> before we get into uh, I'm ready yeah. to fight. Already. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 25. But let's get started before the real fight begins. Yes, I have. What are we all reading? Here we go. Playing. Me? Um, I just bought Monster Hunter World. Um, so nice. that's fun. Um, I don't regret my decision of buying it. But every single time I read, you're basically fighting giant dinosaurs or giant dragons at the same time. <laughs> and sometimes, well. They both come in sometimes at the same time and they fight each other. So as you're fighting one, the other one drops down and starts fighting the one that you're already fighting. Mm -hmm. Which sounds really confusing, but they do like a turf war thing. And so they're fighting, you're waiting for them to finish so you can keep going. And then they both turn around and go after you. So you're like, nope, and you Benny Hill it out of there. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Um, and then in other news, I'm also reading They Wish They Were Us by Jessica Goodman because I wanted some dark academia, you know, murder mystery stuff going on. You never. Uh, oh, I can't say that because that's not, nobody knows that but me because I'm friends with him and... Oh, no. They would kill me if I told you that they were working on a dark academia, so that's all I want to say. Well... Uh, Wait, um, what, what, what? So when they I finally put their that, I no, 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 no. when they put their page up to pre-order the book you sent me, I can beep it out. Yes, I cannot no, say the, I cannot say the name of the author. I don't care. About I think the name we all have author. a wild guess. But an author that I happen to know, which I know a lot of authors, is working on a dark academia book. Yeah. Okay, but listen. But when the pre-order page comes up, you send me the link. Oh, I got you. That's it. Got you. Anyways, Grant, what are you reading? Okay, so. I was fully prepared to start reading the Wheel of Time series as I had been prepared to do for, for a year. And then you started Then reading. I started actually reading it and I'm like, maybe this was the wrong choice. Mm. He was like, I'm going to start reading it after, you know, months. The clock broke. So did it break you? I, I just didn't feel like reading a whole book and a half of a Lord of the Ring copy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, I know. I know it diverges. Yeah, it does. But, but that I, first book is hashtag shade. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it gets good. It's intentional. I, I didn't yeah. feel like no, going no. through that. It yeah, takes no, that, that how many sense. books in a this many book cycle to actually get good? No, no. Okay, so the first book, the first book is a carbon copy of Fellowship in Jordan's own world, but. In book two, like the beginning of book two, the first 100 pages are like a coke trip because he goes way out. Like, you're just like, I'm sorry, magic does what? Like, literally the first I thought we were going carbon yeah. copy, you did yeah, this? Yeah, right. You, like, you're like, okay, cool. All right, this is fellowship heavy. I'm good with this. And I like fellowship. And then you get to the second book and the first 100 pages, I stopped after the first 100 <laughs> pages because I was like, I, 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 
Um, what is no. this Wheel of Time? Wheel of Time, yeah. yeah. I mean, there are fourteen of them. I made it for the through the first few, and I totally agree on the first one. <laughs> the I've second one was better. The third one was better, but I I, I did find one. myself kind of in a weird stage where like these are good, but I don't know if like committing to fourteen Jordan? books are good. Yes. Yeah. The third the third one is the one where everyone has told me that like that's where it picks up. You got to if you ride it out to the third. Mm. The third one's really satisfying, but you have to get three books into a fourteen book series for it to get good. <laughs> well, once again, I think for it to get non-derivative, because you have to understand that that was a whole vogue at that point in fantasy. Is that? Oh, hold on, hold on. You know, we did steal Grant Sonder. Yeah. You, are, are you reading? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just realized where the train just went. I'm like, no, no. Hold on. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I, I tried to start a few other things, and I, I, I wasn't feeling any of them, and then I finally settled on um, Black Sun Rising by C.S. Friedman. Ooh. Um, that's that's good. That's good. I, I've heard it's a good trilogy. It's really good so far. Nice. Um, that's up your alley, though. Yeah, it's 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 yeah. it's another sci-fi fantasy hybrid, which I think is my sweet spot. It's a major inspiration on M.K. Jemison. Oh, line, really? So, you know. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I, I wasn't aware. Um, <laughs> so I'm reading that, and then as a more long-term project, I've started reading the manga Berserk, which, which is awesome. There's not much I can say about it that hasn't been said before, but it's just kind of awesome. Oh, Berserk's cool. fantastic. 10 out of 10. Would the, recommend. The art is crazy. I watched the 97 or whatever anime series and loved it, so. It's oh. nuts. Okay. It's really cool. Okay. I mean, Actually, I know that you like your slime thing, but like. A library patron just checked that out recently. Oh, really? Yeah. Berserk is kind of... So that's cool. But I'm... Berserk. Someone out there is reading it. (laughs) You're welcome. Cool. I am reading... Not a happy read right now. I felt... (gasps) I... It was on Libby. I saw the the cover pop up. I'm like, I'm going to hate myself. And I do hate myself. But you did it anyways. But I did it anyways. (laughs) The Storm is Upon Us. How QAnon became a movement, cult, and conspiracy theory of... Thing. Um, oh, didn't I just recently like process that book too? I it's, did. It's it because it, it, I can see I family members. <laughs> I've like, since the time frame of when I really started to dislike a number of my family members. Not like nuclear family, although they're not <laughs> they're not free from that statement. Extended, but like extended cousins and uncles and aunts and whatnot. Mm. It makes a lot of sense why I started unfollowing them. Hopefully then a few got unfriended even. But um, so part of the program was say, thank God I'm black. Because <laughs> that nonsense, we just skipped entirely. Oh no. This is why I just didn't get no. back on social media. That's why, that's why Candace Owens is no longer black. But never mind, oh, nobody asked me. Um, I, I did hope to finish reading um, in the past week and a half because <laughs> their small books was the Chronicles of Narnia. And I only picked up the second one because it wasn't that long ago I read the first one. So I just, I went with Prince Caspian. <laughs> I'm sorry, carry and on, you were saying. I was gonna finish it, but I'm like, uh, I, I, I feel like I know them well enough to at least hang in a conversation. Maybe not like be the erudite master that you're gonna try to prove yourself to be, which, and you, you are probably. I've read them every year since I was 11. <laughs> at this point, I mean, you know. That don't mean nothing. You know. <laughs> Doesn't mean you read them right. I'd be a really bad reader if I should. <laughs> okay, before we get off track. Jen. Jen. I reread six of the seven Narnias in preparation. Yes, because for some reason you skip. I don't understand you, but carry on. You just told me you don't think the horse and his boy is as good as the rest of them. 
Uh, for the listeners, Jen the does read by osmosis. She sets it on her head. And but she just out. literally yeah. sleeps on the book at night, and yeah. she just wakes up the next morning. Oh, gotta get a new book. Anyways, but I believe is my 173rd book of the year so far. Disgusting. Is <laughs> get out. And you may have heard that I'm in a rough place mentally right now. And the title of this is going to prove it to you. The Loveliest Chocolate Shop in Paris by Jenny Colgan. Oh. Because I need something that needs my brain to not hurt. No, that's fair. And Jenny Mine, although it's that, right? She is, although this one's a little bit one of her older works, and it's still got all of the vibes, but like it opens very dark for a Jenny Colgan book. Uh-oh. The main character has already gotten in an accident at her job and had to have two toes amputated, which is a little dark for these, but... Goodness! But, like, good so far. I'm enjoying it. We're in Paris. We're making chocolate. I'm having a good time. So the only thing that can fill the hole that the toes left is chocolate? Yes. Okay. Naturally. I mean, yeah. What else is there? It's gonna be his name. Okay. Anthony. Um, I am reading two books right now... I'm reading Felix Ever After by Case and Calendar, and I'm reading it slowly nice. because I'm hoping that it gets better. I love the character. The plot feels forced, but I'm only five chapters in, so we'll see where that goes. Um, and then I'm also reading um, a really big book called Tigana by Guy Gabriel Kay. Um, I love I love how richly written this thing is. I love that it was... I just love so much about it. I love everything about it. It's great. It's glorious. I'm hoping that it doesn't go certain directions, but so far it's it's really good. So, yeah. I really want to get started with the inflammatory statement about about the movies movies earlier. But I almost... Because I picked up on something that you guys have been dropping. You and Jen have been dropping down there throughout the past few weeks. Since we decided to do this episode. You mean reading order? Let's talk about the best reading order and why is it in publication order. Pause. Yeah, that's the only For the, that's for the, the listeners, if you haven't caught on by now, <laughs> we are talking about the Chronicles of Narnia series for Thanks, today's um, episode topic. I wrote it on the whiteboard. They can't see it. By but still. Lewis. Yeah. yeah, no, the only way to read that. Se- not the only way. That's not true because I've read it in many ways. What did you call the other one? Alice Staples? Yeah, Alice. <laughs> what, what series did you guys read? <laughs> Get out. <laughs> no, I think I I hold strongly that publication order is the best way to read it in. And I hold that not just for nostalgic reasons. There are people who literally they'll tell you the only way to read it is publication order because that's the order in which they read it. Mm-hmm. Um including one of the best defenses of that order that I ever read. She said, you know what? The truth is, this is the way that I read it, and I can give you all the scholarly reasons why it's better to read it this way, but I read it this way, so I'm biased. Whereas, the number of times that I've read the series, the number of ways I've attempted to read the series, everything folds together and makes the most best logical sense. If you start with Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and work your way through publication order, because... For one thing, there's literally a trilogy in there that you only get if you read in publication order. Because by the time you get to Prince Caspian, having read in chronological order, you're tired. So you've switched character sets three times. And you're like, I don't understand this place. What is going on? Weren't those kids tiny in the last book? Yeah. Didn't they leave? What is happening? Are you... Who is the slave okay. boy and the, the country below? Like, okay. It's like, it, because he didn't retro 
he didn't retro write them. Like he didn't go back and go. Okay. That my publisher's publishing them in chronological order, so I'm gonna put in an insert chapter so that people yeah, know is, where they are. Actually, I feel like we mentioned we're talking about this briefly. Having read them both orders, I see merit in both. I'm also not as heavily invested in the series as a whole. Um, to really, I've only watched. The you know, to fight this too much. I'm sorry. However, I do think there's something to be said. Having once you read it at least, you know, both orders one time, go back and read it in uh, publication order, because there's some weird metacognitive things going on that you might not otherwise like. W- would it have been intentional if he wrote co- chronological order? Like some of the things. Yeah, it, it, it's it almost like in the same parallel, um, the making of the Star Wars film. I mean. If he, yeah, but Lewis, Lewis best Lucas. I mean, you know, please. C.S. Lewis actually had yeah. ideas. Yes. I was gonna say, please. You can better dialogue. The, you cannot <laughs> put those two in the same camp. Lewis knows how to write. First of all, um, that almost hurts. Okay. But I have to agree. The salt. <laughs> but going back to, I think it's perfectly possible to go from the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe into the Horse and His Boy. I think you're just favoring your favorite. Uh, yeah, okay, order. no, but it's possible. It's nauseating. It's a separate story. I wish I would. I know. Yes, but you. Okay, you have to understand. No, I don't. Unless you've. Okay. (laughs) Unless you're someone who has already read them, if that's your first go-to, with kids it might be a little bit easier because kids sort of just read in a hodgepodge weird way anyway because that's what reading is when you're a child or that's what anything is when you're a child, right? Adult readers have a really hard time because they always start with the magician's nephew. And I'm like, people, stop it. Like, you are hurting yourself on purpose because one, this is not Harry Potter. So you are not getting that big, that arc that ties itself to, you're not getting that. So. I mean, you do and you don't. It's just not. Apparently. But it's not a Harry Potter style of arc either. Like, yes, it works as a cohesive story from Magician's Nephew to The Last Battle, but not in the way that like a tightly linked series such as Harry Potter, such as The Hunger Games, such as Twilight, that you need to read in order from start to finish to actually understand what the heck is going on. Right. Like I would say that yes, these are a series. Yes, there is chronological, like you'll follow some of the same characters from story to story, but they're not so tightly connected that you absolutely need to, but it does work. You just can't necessarily expect that from point one to point two, mm-hmm. things are going to like fully, you know, catch on to where the last story left off and fully tie up in a nice neat no. bow and all of that kind of thing. The but they're the chronicles. But I also Narnia. think that one of the strengths of reading it in publication order two is that you get to see an intellectual development in the series that you definitely miss reading it in chronological order because there's a lump intellectually in the middle. Like you go from the very sophisticated work that is The Magician's Nephew, you go to The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is easy. There's not really anything that serious about it. It's fun, it's beautiful, it's, it, I think it's perfect, honestly. It's a little boring for me, but I think it's perfect. And then you get to the horse and his boy, and you're like, excuse me, sir. <laughs> what happened? Like, were you on sabbatical? Did they tell you you had to quit smoking? Like, what? something happened when he was writing that book, because it is all over the place. Some of my favorite characters appear in that book. There are black people, thank heaven alive, on the page as characters living and breathing. 
in the book, but in terms of structure, in terms of like um, themes and everything, it's all, oh, it is a mess, hot mess. And I don't know why, like, I'm like, how did this reach publication? How did your editor not go, sir? We expect better. Like, it's terrible. Okay, because nobody's editor told them that in 1950. Let's be entirely real here. I mean, that's, I mean, especially if the series was successful, whatever. But, like, as a as a novel, it's just messy. It doesn't work. And then you get to Prince Caspian, which is a feat of genius. Crazy formula, but it works. You know, actually, having know. listened to it recently, the I did The Horse Boy is meant to be a novel. I feel like it's more of a folktale. I think you're defending it a little strongly, and given that it's the one that you skipped, I'm not going to let you get away with that. <laughs> I'm also just not willing to let you ride on public, like publication order as being the best. Whenever I reread it, every single time I go through it, I go Magician's Nephew to the last. Is battle. that the way you started it, though? I don't when actually. First I'm it. pretty sure I read the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe first, because oh, of everyone, reads everyone, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe first, and that is well, not grown-ups. No, and that is the thing. Like, even when somebody came to me tomorrow and was like, "I've never read Narnia. Where do I start?" You start with the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Always. I do say that 100 percent of the time, all yeah. the time. I was yeah. 26 when I read it for the first time. Which one did you read? Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Thank God. Yeah, like, that's I do why think that I, I know I could be a potential potential outlier in that. That, that no, point. not at all. I mean, it, it, that's sorry. Carry on. No, I do saying. think the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe should be your starting point for like anyone who is fresh to Narnia. I yeah. do just think that should be where you go. Yeah, I agree. From there, and I think that also gives you a little room to play. Like, it's very weird that we're saying how do you do it the first time? Because honestly, I don't know how I would tell you to do it the first time. Yeah, I weirdly locked out that I read it, and but I didn't know it was publication order. I was twelve. I'd seen. The BBC adaptations, which, by the way, oh my god, are so fun. So fun. They're insane, but they're so fun. <laughs> Skip the line of the witch in the wardrobe, because Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are creepy, and they should not be creepy. Like, they're <laughs> actually legitimately creepy. Yeah, that's um, just puppetry at work. Yeah, when the centaurs are less creepy than the beavers, there's a prop. <laughs> I have to, I've never seen it. I have to Google no. it. But Prince Caspian and the Silver Chair are a utter delight. So much fun. Oh, and the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. But anyway, yeah, they're fun. Great. So I'd, I already knew all four of those. So I, that's how I read. And then after that, I went Horse and His Boy, Magician's Nephew, and um, Last Battle because Horse and His Boy had Pevensies. So I just read the one that had Pevensies and then followed um, it all the way through. You look like you have something. Uh, no, I, I'm I'm googling because you know I want the answer to the question, but y'all are arguing about it, so I just there's no answer. No, so <laughs> also really quick while you're while you're collecting. Yes. You've read them all before. No, I've only watched the movies. Okay, this is did you have you read them all before? No, Lord Ish. I've read the first one and I've seen the first movie. Okay. As in the Land, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. As in the Land. Okay. Correct. <laughs> Is always I'm sorry. Carry on. It's like <laughs> sitting between. I'm sorry two. that the one thing I do Clive's way is actually read them in his preferred order. Listen, Clive was wrong about Narnia all the time. His essays even contradict. He has several essays. There's one where he's like, yeah, so you guys shouldn't read this as an allegory because I wasn't writing them as an allegory because allegories have to be intentional. And this was not intentional. I just threw stuff in my brain and threw it up on the page and there it is. That was so, actually a question I had for everyone because I know he says that sometimes, but 
and maybe he thinks it was Maybe he didn't think it was, but he still wrote one. I think that's the closest. But it seeped so much into his work, which... I think it's the closest to the truth, because as he was writing the series, he was an atheist. Period. I mean, just chronologically Mm. in his life. And he became the Christian that we know him as later, through later writings. And I think he's even said that the Screwtape Letters was the one that really, like, made him really, like become a Christian or think of himself as a Christian. Um, so how did so much symbolism, how much, how much, why? Well, you have to understand yeah. that as an Oxford professor of medieval history, that's his field of, not just his field of interest, I mean, but that's everything. That's all he You knows. don't read medieval epics without mm-hmm. knowing uh, the history of the Catholic Church without knowing yep. the history of the Church of England. Yep. That, I mean, it, it, and plus he's, you know, Irish yep. Protestant. His grandfather was a, a, a pastor. Yep. Like he had a whole field of knowledge on the Oxford level that people who've gone to church their whole lives as diehard Christians could never have or diehard Catholics. It's the same could never thing with have. art history too. Yeah. So he I think a lot all of that was where Narnia comes from. And there are very slight flavors of other religions and mythologies in there. As oh, well. yeah. I mean, Tao, there are, Taoism's all over the yeah. place in those. There are satyrs. Uh, Silenus and Bacchus come into it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. The, those world-building things are so interesting because you can tell he's definitely back-borrowing and stealing from medieval history because they did that all the time, too. You know, those medieval epics are always stealing from Greek mythology because yeah. what else did they have? Yeah. Nothing. You know? Um, they had Homer. Yeah. So, I mean, there are bits and pieces of other things stolen in there and put into place. I mean, the thing with Lilith, too, with the White Witch being yeah. yes. a descendant yeah. of Lilith, is mm-hmm. not technically strict Christianity. No! Um, I mean, but it's, it's, a bra- it's a branch off of Catholicism in some way. It is. Um, okay, it's not strict Christianity as we would know it today. As not American Christianity. Christianity, that's true. Yeah, that's true. And even probably not even the Christianity that he wrote about in mere Christianity, because, I mean, it's just... But again, that's the thing. I think that's where all of that comes from. And I think he was I think he was closest to the truth by saying, I don't know how this got on the page. People keep asking me where Aslan came from. Well, I needed a lion or I needed a character who would do this thing. To me, it made sense that he was a lion because, well, that's how all the other animals talked about him. And I was like, oh, that just makes sense. Why is there a lamppost? <laughs> I was thinking about that too because it, it's been a while since I've read any kind of scholarship on this the topic but like I remember vaguely remembering that one of his earlier drafts of it there was no Aslan character probably not yeah. no, no I wouldn't think so because huh. I mean you have to have a need for Aslan right and the need becomes Edmund or Edmund becomes the need whatever you yeah. know. Wait, why does explain that dynamic Edmund? Edmund do you, Aslan. Do you want Edmund to not die? Then something's got to happen. Well, he's a little turd. He turned them over for Turkish delight. He, psh, okay, I, first of all, listen. He's not used think, to If y'all think that I would not turn True. you over for some rock candy and hot chocolate dispelled by a witch, you got another thing coming. Like, bye. No, and, I, I, I and mean, that's also, fair. Let's also remember that he was under World War II sugar rationing, and this boy has not seen sugar in, like, four years. And you also have to... I think that's the other thing that makes... Let's just get stuck on the line, which in the wardrobe. But that's the other thing that makes that book in particular and the rest of the series work so well is that Lewis understood children. Yeah. Edmund is not just a lot of adults are supposed to hate Edmund because, well, you're a grown up. But if you're a child and if you've ever been a child, like the wrong child, quote unquote, Edmund 
is you. Like I remember like having chills reading that book the first time because he saw me. I was like, oh, yeah, I, yeah. Because Edmund's not just bad because the plot demands him to be bad. No, he's getting back at his siblings for being awful in his own mind. You he's see like, that in yeah. the movie too. Like it's very oh, like yeah. blatant, like right there in front of you, like why <laughs> yeah. he's acting the way he is. Yeah, yeah. cause also the thing he's, yeah. he's, he's not necessarily bad either. Like no. he's misbehaving, sure. He's clearly doing something that's gonna come back to bite him later. But he's like ten. He's doing a very understandable thing when you're or like ten. ten at max. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, he's sort of stuck in the middle. He's sort of. I mean, yeah. There's a lot going on there. Those d- dynamics. And again, he's no Eustace Clarence scrub. And the thing about Eustace Clarence, <laughs> the thing that I loved about Eustace even more, to le- Eustace felt like a level up. Like I was like, oh, this guy really understands <laughs> what it feels like because Eustace is a product of his parents. True. And you know that. Like, as soon as you hear that brat's words on the page, you're like, oh, yeah. His parents are those people <laughs> whose little Eustace can do no wrong. Uh, yeah, well, you know. Except you can only do wrong forever. And so, we all want to kill him. So completely well, only until topic. after he's a dragon. Yes, <laughs> but it takes him so long to become <laughs> that dragon. I mean, you know, he has to earn it. <laughs> So off topic, um, I looked up, you know, the correct order. Mm-hmm. So the debate has started way back, like when Lewis like first like wrote yeah. the books. Like he finished publishing them in like '57 or something. Some mm-hmm. kid asked him, like, I want. So the kid wanted to read it in chronological order in terms of like magician's nephew. The mom said that he should read it in publication order. And they ask C.S. Lewis at like one of his like book talks or whatever, That's right, yeah. which way they should read it. And then he's out of his mind because I kind of agree that maybe we shouldn't be reading it in like actual like Magician's Nephew first just because of the way that it flows. But <laughs> he says, read it Magician's Nephew first. That's what he says. I'm with you, Clive. And then, and then the whole entire time, up until 95, they still kept it as Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe is the first book. Yeah, they have. And then in 95, they turned around and they literally, like, asked his net C.S. Lewis's, like... Stepson, I think it is. Yeah. Douglas Gresham. Um, they asked him, like, what order should you read this? And he was just like, eh? <laughs> and so in 1995, they decided to reorder all of the books. And that's why Magician's Nephew is technically like labeled as the first book. That makes sense. It's because HarperCollins in 1995 decided we but wanted I'm to reorder glad them. they did because one, two, but three, scholars three. Like to, scol- scholars like to argue about this all the time, too. Yep. Oh, and they sure. all argue that C.S. Lewis was out of his mind and you should read it line in the wardrobe first. I mean, I don't disagree that Lewis, you know, after Narnia lost his, lost it a bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, but that's just in the writing, not necessarily in the... the like, I just the Nar- everyone would like to know that. The yes, Narnia thank you for information for oh, everyone today. So good. They're today we have learned... <laughs> <laughs> All right, I need more questions. Rapid. Well, not just me, but you know, I, we. I, I don't have any arguments for you. I'm sorry. Who's ever had Turkish delight? 
I've heard it tastes terrible. I, I haven't. There's like two different versions historically, I guess. There's like a traditional Turkish delight, which is, I've heard is like the atrocious one. And then mm-hmm. there's like the one that's slathered in chocolate. I, oh, hey, Anthony, I have a side question for you, unless we want to no, continue no. with the Turkish delight. The problem of Susan expound. Oh, jeez. All right. Explain um, the problem The of problem, Susan. okay. Spoilers for anyone who is not finished reading I don't care. This her. book has been out for ages. Yes. Double do it. But, okay. Uh, so, we get to book seven, The Last Battle. Yes. In which Narnia literally goes through the apocalypse. Narnia right. is no more. It's brilliant. And all of the Pevensies, Peter and Susan and Edmund and Lucy, have been told previously that they are never getting back to Narnia, that their visits there are over, that they will not be returning to this land. And then suddenly, we get midway into the story, things have gone off the rails for our new protagonists, and (laughs) Peter and Edmund and Lucy are all there. And it takes them all a minute to figure out, but they realize they're not so much in Narnia as they are finally in Aslan's country where he reigns supreme, he will never leave them. Further up and further in. Further up and further in. (laughs) And things are good. Like, they have run hundreds of miles and not broken a sweat. They have not gotten thirsty. Like, things are clearly good for them, and they don't quite know what's going on. They all kind of thought, before our original protagonists were pulled into Narnia again, that they were about to be in a railway accident. And it turns out that they were! They're all dead now. So are their parents. But you know, you know who's not dead? Their sister Susan, who stopped believing in Narnia and is now the sole survivor of a railway crash that has killed her entire This is something family. Wait, wait. Alley, wait. Are you kidding me? No. Oh, this no. is a So she only problem. survives because she doesn't believe? Because she wasn't on the because train. she wasn't on the train. They were all yeah. coming. Wasn't to... she in America? No, that was in uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, the the reason Edmund and Lucy had to go stay with terrible Eustace in the first place is that oh, Peter was going to college. Yes. Susan went off to America with their parents. Yes. In the last battle, they realize that something is hanky, and they're trying to send our youngest two protagonists now, Jill and Eustace, back into Narnia because they know that they need help there. So they're trying to figure out what to do. They have gone to rescue some ashes of the old wardrobe that took them to Narnia right. originally. Uh, yes. And yeah. so Jill and Eustace and... Lucy and the professor and Polly are all on the train back to London. Peter and Edmund have also hopped on like a corresponding train back up to the north. And Peter and Edmund's parents are with them on this train. But Susan is not on the train with them. Because she stopped believing. Yeah, because she stopped believing. And like the parents were just going to come up for a visit. Susan didn't want to come up, whatever. Like they were all traveling back up like north to where the professor lives now or whatever. I guess it was never made exactly clear where they were hanging out at this time. But Susan wasn't on the train because she stopped believing in Narnia. And she wasn't going to go up for the visit to go see the Pevensies and their cousin Eustace and all of that kind of thing. Why has it ever been explored Dang why it, she Susan. stopped believing? Okay, so there's a lot of fan fiction is, and theory about that, but there's nothing in the text. To there's explain. a story, or there's a bit in the text, but there's not a ton. Yeah, there's a story by Neil Gaiman called "The Problem of Susan." Um, it's a terrible story, yeah. just because. You can tell it was written by um, a horny man in his 20s who was trying to solve the problem of Susan, and he hadn't quite figured out how to write women yet. But so, I'm... you know, you have this weird imagery of Susan riding Aslan, and I'm not talking about the way that she actually rides him in the line, which is a hell of a oh, fanfic right that. there. Yeah, exactly. L- literally. And because she's a grown old woman Susan, it's like a memory, and you're just like, yeah, this is still uncomfortable, dude. I know. But Gaiman... 
Poolman, who wrote the His Dark Material series, and J.K. Rowling, all three, have come out and spoken heavily against that moment in Narnia. They're like, the Narnia books are great. That thing he did is BS. So, so to <laughs> clarify it a little bit for me, because is the problem that she stopped believing, or is the pro- what is the problem? The problem, I think, so they all have different theories. So, like, Pullman's problem with it is the fact that Susan... Susan can't be an atheist without her entire family dying. Like, it, that, that, that's how, that's the implication of the text, that it's like, she gets to live on on Earth without her entire family because she became an atheist. Look at that, kids. Don't become atheists because your whole family's going to die. You know, and then... Wow. I think that's, yeah, a, that's, I think a, that's a reach text. I don't know if that's necessarily a reach. I don't think Lewis is ever that cruel. No, like I don't think that was Lewis's intentional message, right, I guess. Yeah, but I'm sure somebody could bit, reach that far. Yeah, I would like agree, it's yeah. not the worst reach, but it's a bit of a reach. Um Rowling's problem is that Susan's the the, the reason that Su- one of the things that's mentioned by the others, like Polly is just like, Oh god, she always had an attitude problem. And I think I forget what the other siblings are just kinda like, Yeah, she just kinda had more of an interest in like nylons and lipstick. Literally the phrase nylons and lipstick. I remember that phrase in the movie. And invitations. And invitations, which and that's but people always drop that one. And like yes, I also. But even that. When I'm resolving the problem of Susan for myself, I am just interpreting it in an entirely different lens than all these people are. Possibly because I am a Christian woman who also enjoys nylons and lipstick, and so I have my own take on the subject here. No, that's fair. Yeah. Fair. I, yeah. But like everyone always focuses on like, oh, Susan, she folks, she cares about nylons and lipstick. She got too feminine, and so she can't be in Narnia anymore. I don't think that. And was I'm the like, problem. that's not the point. But even adding invitations, she's only getting invitations because she's pretty. Yeah, but that. <laughs> but I think the thing that everyone is like, everyone says that the problem is that Susan is beautiful, and that's why she can't be in Narnia anymore. I don't think the problem is that Susan is beautiful because it's also heavily implied that Lucy and Jill aren't exactly hard to look at. But I think the problem... The real implication should be like Susan grew up. She grew up and she got more... And I think the thing is, we can even take it back to the end of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe Mm -hmm. where it is said that they all grew up in Narnia and they got power. They became the kings and queens of Narnia. People were fighting over Susan to marry her. She had political power yeah. in Narnia. Yeah. And then, metaphor for the war here, they're all sent back home at the end in an instant, and they're back to being, what, 13, 12 But then at she grows up the and she finds that. And she's trying to reclaim the power that she had in Narnia originally. And how that happened is she was popular. She was pretty. She knew how to find the power again in the world. Sure, yeah, because it's because I everything mean, that kinda, she had used. Yeah. I still think hmm. the I think the I big, mean that's how I took it when I, I was watching it at like twelve watching Prince Caspian or Voyage of the yeah. Dawn Treader when they like first talked about it, like in the movie, because like they mentioned yeah. it in that movie specifically, like the lipstick and nylon line. Yes. That's how I interpreted it as a girl watching it in her preteens was she just grew up and just yeah and she started denying that the adventures that she and her siblings had were real 
in order to fit in better into the machinations of power in the real world. But in that sense, I still think that, like, I have to agree with... This is one of the other points that Pullman makes, is that that very thing. You put these kids through this kind of torture. You bar them from going back. And then the only way they can get back is they die? Okay. What kind of devilry is that? And furthermore, Susan should believe in the world in which she lives because that's the world in which she lives. Does it mean she has to cut off Narnia in order to do that? No. But if she has to cut off Narnia in order to live in the world in which she lives, that should not be criminalized. Nobody's and I think saying that she has to. There right. are six other people in her known circle who are clearly able to move yeah. on from Narnia and still live in the world. Yeah, but they still believed because they were actually making efforts. The reason they died is because they were making efforts to save it. And I don't know why... And I, you, we talked about this last week. I don't know why she wasn't brought in and made... Not made, but possibly because by the time we hear them like, say like Susan's not, they're already dead by that time. Hmm. Like we never actually no, no, see the Pevensies alive in yeah. the last battle. Yeah, yeah that's true. And we don't realize they're dead yet. Not to be super macabre about it, right? But right, it takes a while before you realize that. And I think, I but like, how are you supposed to bring an alive woman into everyone else being dead? I, and that, I, again, I think that's the problem. I know what he's playing with. I mean, he's playing with the entire concept of Revelation here, or at least not Revelation itself, but the entire concept of what happens when the world ends and we all go, end up going to heaven. How does that work? How would that function? What does it feel like? And he's using Narnia in which to do it. And there are moments of brilliance in that book, but the one, I mean, canker sore of a flaw on the series in general and on that book is killing them. Because one, you don't have to do it. He did it. And then he shored up his weaknesses as he's going along. And it's like, but sir, you didn't have to do that. You didn't have to kill them in a trainway accident. You could have just brought them over and had Aslan explain, I needed your help. <laughs> Period. Okay, but this, then he's like, re- but then he's reneging on what he had all told the older ones earlier in that they were never going back. I mean, that's true. But they weren't in Narnia anyway. They were in Aslan's country. So like... It could have yes, but had he, but he didn't need their help in his country. Narnia is where they were in need of help. Right, I know, but it's still it. it You're making perhaps, plot holes. But that's but that's the point. It's still a plot hole because Susan, Susan, not believing, without actually being on the page to say, I don't believe. She doesn't have to explain why she doesn't believe. It doesn't really matter. But to not actually physically be on the page saying, this is ridiculous, I want to go home, is a huge flaw of character because then this person doesn't even have an ending. She doesn't even have a, like everyone gets a full arc but Susan and her arc is closed up by like- As I gave you the receipts for in a text message a couple weeks ago. I know, I hear that. In the receipts that I sent you, not to turn my flashlight on accidentally, (laughs) I shake myself up. But in Prince Caspian, you were yeah. saying that there's never a sign. There's never a sign in the last battle that Susan. No, that's true. And going was, to right. d- d- uh, stop believing. And yeah. in Prince Caspian, the book. Yeah, yeah. There, Susan 
is using her most grown-up tone of voice to shoot Lucy down every time she, sh- she suggests they do something about following Aslan, who only Lucy can see at this point because yeah. she has retained the faith. Susan is the last person to be able to see Aslan as they finally like, keep following his path and yeah. journeying further into Narnia and regaining some of that faith that they had in him. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, the scenes are there. Mm-hmm. Do you have something? And, I was yeah. just going to... Yeah, I was gonna say. Please jump in, because we're going to oh, go all no, night. I, 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 <laughs> I'm enjoying this. Right, okay. I do have a phone. Oh, go ahead. If you do actually have a question. Yeah, no, before, no, I was I just, see uh, weird comparison, but it makes me think of the end of uh, the Polar Express, kind of, where everybody but him stops believing in Santa Claus. <laughs> like, is, it, is Narnia, it's not having read the series, is Narnia, like, a symbol of, like, childhood imagination or something? Absolutely. Like, yes. Yeah, is, 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 is she, like... An example of someone that outgrows it or something? Yes, yes. yes. That's exactly the point. Okay. And I think that, again, so there's an interview with J.K. Rowling in the U.K. Um, yes, she's a turf, but this is, this, this, this is a point where I was, I was so with her on this. And I think this is a very, in as much as, like, being a turf is, is a problem in the U.K., so is this thing that she pointed out when the Order of the Phoenix was, like, it was the day before the Order of the Phoenix was coming out in the U.K. It was an interview. And they were t- the interviewer was asking her about, hey, you know, the thing that's unique about Harry Potter is the fact that the kids are allowed to grow up. They're allowed to have, like, they're allowed to make out. They're allowed to have partners. Well, they're yeah. To, you know, as they get older. And she said, yes, because I think it's extremely sinister how in UK children's books, Peter Pan is, like, the big criminal offender. But I would say that Susan in Narnia is the other criminal offense. Children are not allowed to actually grow up, which does not mean you have to go on a date in order to be grown up. I think that's that's a falsehood. If you look at the Harry Potter kids and how they age up, it's not just about dating. It's about understanding that the world is genuinely a horrifying place and you can do something about it. You know, the first three books, Harry is, you know, his back is against the wall. And in the fourth and fifth one, finally, he's like, oh, no, I'm pushing back. I think that's something that from Peter Pan all the way forward to Harry Potter, well, really, the um, his dark materials, the UK children's fantasy has a problem with aging children, particularly in series. And Lewis, I, to his credit, he tries. Like, he, he pushes, right? Eustace and Jill, I think, are perfect examples of kids who actually get to grow up and believe in Narnia. They're like a nice bridge. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like... I don't disagree with the point there that there is clearly a weird trope there of like believing in something makes you a kid forever and there is some weird nonsense to unpack behind that. Yeah. But then what I would like to see more of unpacking that is Diggory and Polly, who are literal actual children when we meet them yeah. in the magician's nephew. And they are old, old yes. by the last battle. Yes. Yeah. Enough time has passed in the real world that right. they are, what, 60s, 70s at least? Yes, and I think there again you have something, I think belief in the problem of Susan is always the weird thing for me. Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, but why is belief even the, the the hill we're dying on here? Because Diggory and Polly are, first of all, Polly is way too practical to be about belief. Like, when they're in the, in the Magician's Nephew and they show up and they're in this place, Diggory's going, oh my God, and Polly's just like, 
fine. And then they literally read a sign that's like, don't feed the gremlins. And he, of course, is like, let me feed the gremlins. And she's like, what are you doing? Like the sign says. And he's just like, but you never know. No, and he's like, well, the sign says we're going to be enchanted forever and we don't. She's like, that's crap. Right, literally. And like, so you have this extremely practical person who has not changed. Literally, her problem with Susan is like, oh, God, that girl. Like, totally something an old woman would say about a young girl who just doesn't understand that life isn't all about how pretty you are. It's believable. The Pevensies, unfortunately, are still, and I think it's because... Honestly, Lewis loved them the most. So they Why have you? this right. they have this enchanted love of Narnia that's like, oh my god, we're back home. And it's like, yeah, that's cute, but you ruled. You fought wars. Like, I don't see any evidence of the fact that you were warriors, that you, Peter, defeated giants and subdued them. I don't see any evidence of that whatsoever. Why? This like, is why I like the fan fiction for Narnia, because they do touch on that sometimes. And this is why I will argue all day long that the films are incredible adaptations, because they begin to age the characters. Mm-hmm. They show you what aging in Narnia could look like and how uncomfortable it feels. There's an incredible scene in the Prince Caspian film they're... where they're lying on the, by the fire, yes. everyone else is asleep, Lucy and Susan are talking. They're lying flat on their back. And the only reason that that shot is incredible is because Susan is not flat chested and it's very obvious and Lucy is. Okay, I think that's just also how Anna Popowell and Georgie Henley may have physically been at the time. My point is that it's a clear delineation without using a whole bunch of language to do it. It's a visual delineation of was it deliberate? One of these girls is is getting older, and one of them is Might not. have been. Wait, what? Was it, Was it a deliberate choice? Of- oh, it feels deliberate, because they. why are they both laying on their backs? One but it could have been happenstance. That's why I'm kind of curious now to know, like, if like if that's specific. Because sometimes... I mean, sometimes it is. But, like, the shot yeah. is so, like, it's like a duh. Like, you, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Like, it's like, oh, oh, my God. Um... There are other signs of aging, obviously, like yeah. Susan likes a guy, whatever, whatever, whatever. But like, just the visual of that was like, oh, they're really pushing this aging thing. Okay, but Good. they don't not <laughs> age on the text. I think that's just a way where a visual medium helps move the point along. I think the Pevensies, like, in terms of like, the Pevensies don't age. They're, they stay the same. They are, t- we're told they get older. Their dialogue, they sound like children the whole series. And that bothers me, like, as a reader. I don't know. It, this is an interesting thing, though, to kind of counter that a little bit. Like, it makes me wonder now, um, when I was listening to it, the, oh my God, the point of view, perspective narrator, uh, not the audiobook narrator, but the literal narration in the book. Lewis's, yeah. Um, it had very much the qualities of someone telling a story like as if oh yeah like you're deliberately supposed to imagine not what's going on in the story but as like some old grandmother or sage father figure grandfather figure bus bedside Time reading for a us book together around the fire yeah i I'm about to hit christmas oh, like there are, and we're there's like this. in both books there's a little yeah. point like and like where they'll break the fourth wall so to speak yeah i love his which made it seem like when i when it clicked i'm like this is very much like someone reading 
a story to children rather than the actual events going on. Um, and I wonder if that has something to do with what you just said. It might. I feel like that's also just another hallmark of like, like maybe UK was... children's fiction of that period. Though. Yeah, like I, the ballet shoes book that Anthony and I have both read, and Noel oh, Straitfeld. I watched the movie. Yes, but Noel Straitfeld was also those books were published actually around the same time. Land the Witch and Wardrobe, and all of those books in her little universe there, and they have just a very similar stylistic bent Mary about Poppins them. Mary Poppins does too. Mary Poppins has some of that. Where I get maybe yeah, not the direct does. like you call outs that C.S. Lewis puts into the text. Mm-hmm. What's I'm the just other trying one? to remember. Little Princess. Little Princess is a little older, it's I think. Little, yeah. Little older. yeah. But in I think, the same field, yeah. though. But it has some of that same vibe, where it's like, when it's talking about, like, the three fossil sisters in the ballet shoes books going to school, just the way some of that is described is very like, and you will well know this because you too go to a school, child. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 it, it's, it occurs to me that the Pevensies, there's something happening between the author and the creation there. There's mm-hmm. a there's a wall, because, I mean, he loves them. And again, uh, why not, right? Like I think we that, all love. Them. Yeah, that love gloms onto you as the reader, so that when I say that, like I, it sounds hypercritical, and maybe it is that they don't age. I don't think that that's ever a problem until the problem of Susan. And even then, I don't. I like them. Like I like I love them too much for them to want to. I don't know if I would... I wonder if that's everyone's true main problem with Susan as well, is that yeah. we just all, you know, we glommed on to the four Pevensies and the Land, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah. And one is And we same. don't like, yeah, we don't like that at the end of the series, they do not get to be all four together in Aslan's country, regardless of how realistic it may or may not be for Susan to be going through this problem. Yeah, and I feel like his... You know, whenever you do something like that, whenever you risk something like that with your audience, fine, but back it up, sir. Like, and that's where I felt like he failed, is that he didn't back it up. He gave us some dialogue. He, you know, he did what it, what he thought was the work, but there were other things in that book that took precedence and he had to move on with that. And that's fine, you know, to his credit, you get a satisfying ending. You cry. It's it's oh a God, thing, right? So it's it's, yeah. it's so great. He ties up that really heavy thing because that book is heavy. Yeah. And he ties it up. He goes there. He does a great job. I think it's it's well worth it. Mm-hmm. But that it is it is a thorn, you know. And it the older you get, the more of a thorn it becomes. Um, no, and you know what yeah. hurts real bad if you think about it. I'm going to make you experience this pain oh, with me. Oh. <laughs> so at the end of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, we have our like one paragraph moment with old Peter and old Susan and old Edmund and old Lucy. Mm-hmm. And they're out hunting the white stag because the, ma- because the magic white stag can bring you wishes if you hunt down the white stag and yeah. find it. And they have been in Narnia for 20, 30 years at this point, possibly. Longer? Maybe? I didn't think they were that much old. Like, I still thought they were maybe like Early like thir- like twenties thirties. Oh yeah, because well, like, thir- like twenty five or something. Because yeah. in the Middle Ages, that would have been old. Yes, and also because like they're kind of talking about being, mar- but like we don't hear anything about like you know they could barely get on their horses or anything yeah, like right. that. Yeah, right. They're still, they're still supposed spry. to be fairly spry. Yeah. And so, but they've been in Narnia for so long. They've like fully like acclimated to that world. They don't really have memories of being Earth children. All they're the assimilated. Thing. They have assimilated. Mm-hmm. And they get to 
lantern waste where the lamppost is growing out of the ground. And they're all like, what the heck is this? Because again, they've lived in Narnia for so long. <laughs> and it's the only lantern in the world. Yeah, and it's the only lantern that they've ever seen. So they're like, what is this? It's brilliant. And they're all kind of like, well, it would be a real, like, this is an adventure. Clearly, we have to follow where this lamppost leads and see where it goes. Right. And Susan doesn't want to go. She's afraid to go. She does not want to go past the lamppost. Ooh. And that's how they end up back in the real world. I remember Don't that. think about that in context of the last battle. Wow. Now, see, that's there's a painful. Yeah. There's a paper in there somewhere. That's in Scholarly paper. Yeah. Where's the scholars? Come on. Yeah. Give me, give, give us content. <laughs> we are running a little low on time, but I wanted to ask one more question, just because it's something I haven't thought about in a long time. Allegedly, Tolkien did not like the Chronicles of Narnia. He, are you familiar with this? I know that this is okay. So, <laughs> the Inklings. Never believe anyone who ever tells you that they anything about the Inklings unless they've actually read copious amounts of stuff written by the Inklings. Like, if you have not read the letters, the essays, the work, don't believe because there's so much apocryphal lore where people are like, oh, did you know that Tolkien thought that Lewis was, you know, like, no. They were friends. They were super close. They had fights. And their fights, like, their letters, oh my god, epic fights. And literally, like, the apology letters after their fights are Lewis going, and the Bible tells us not to be, and he's quoting Bible quotes, and he's like, and I'm so sorry, my dear yeah. good friend. And I'm like, I'm hearing your obedient servant from Hamilton. My right now. <laughs> like it's, it is too much. So, but what I do think is true is that they had extremely variant ideas about world building that they Tolkien had ideas about <laughs> world building that they passionately argued Same about. And so. Tolkien's hard line was the world has to make physiological sense, historical sense, linguistic sense. It has to make and sense. Lewis was like, I got a lamppost over here. And yeah, Lewis is like, whatever. I want there I'm to writing, be a lamppost here. But Lewis was writing for children. And this he, is true. And he never stopped writing for, like, uh, in that world in a way. He, it made sense. Whereas Tolkien was just like, sir, are you kidding me? However. Lewis retconned if, the lamppost. If you read The Hobbit, which is why Tolkien later in his life tried to change some things in The Hobbit. If you read The Hobbit... There's a point at which, like, one of the trolls loses their heads or something stupid like that, and he goes, "And this is how the uh, this is how the game of golf was invented." And you're like, "What, <laughs> sir? <laughs> like, Gandalf has, you know, done this amazing feat of magic, and then, and this is how the game of golf was invented." And you're like, "There's golf and Hobbit, what?" Oh, eventually. Of all the sports they could play, it's golf. Like, I see the Fellowship of the Ring at the end of, like, the whole thing. Just like, all right, let's do a game of golf. Look at the landscape within the Shire and all around. It's very golf-oriented. Sure. I mean, it's just like... And you're not going to play, like, what, Pop-Pop Golf in Mordor or something? Um, (laughs) Was Middle-Earth supposed... Wasn't Middle-Earth supposed to be, like, in ancient Europe? Like, was it... I forget. Was it technically supposed to be our universe in a way? No, no, it it's wasn't. supposed to be its own, completely separate. It there's the the illusion is that like this is what our world would have been if kind mm. of thing. No, but 
he wanted his ultimate goal was to build a secondary world that existed without any knowledge of the world in which we live. Like it could do its own thing without I don't you know you should go any one. help from our world if that makes sense. Yeah. Which you know he pulled off. I hate to say it, but he pulled it off. That man. So anyway. Who are we smack? Wait, which Narnians okay. are we smacking? Because I have an idea for Narnians to smack, but Aaron was working something out. So Andy and I were just talking. Um, but also, just before we put that out there, um, just so everyone knows, there is going to be a Narnia Netflix series. Yes, yeah, I heard. I'm that's so what they excited. It's still talk. It's still actually in active production right now. Um, according Sorry. to the, yeah. one of those, um, you know. the thing is. They haven't released anything about like who's in it, anything like that. Um, That's because they haven't done. I'm here all day, but um, they haven't released anything. But you know, that's happening. Um, But Andy and I were talking. um, Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, and then I'm gonna throw up since we're doing kind of like the English like literature scene. J.M. Barry. Just for a random one, because I can't think of another one. I don't know enough about all of them. Like, I feel like I could probably get behind marrying C.S. Lewis. I just feel like he might be the least insufferable, but... Uh, um, I don't know what any of these people Then, like, then it's down to, are you willing to snog Tolkien or Barry or kill? Barry's pretty... Okay, I If you're it. willing to listen to him talk about trees... I mean, young Tolkien can slap over here. Yeah, like, like young Tolkien and Lewis are nothing to sneeze at. Um, poor I just Barry. needed a third one. I just needed a third no, one, No, I guys. know. Poor, poor Jam. But he, no, it's a good little thing. Oh, in the... that man. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. He just the has a mustache. But I will say, going on strict so I would say, I would, the I would marry James Matthew Barry in a heartbeat because he's the easiest to live with out of all three of them because he's not an Oxford Don. Um, Ouch! And I would kill Tolkien. Okay. Because he's easily the most. Why, when I googled C.S. Lewis, did a picture of John Kennedy come up? <laughs> I think you just stumbled upon. Oh no! Well, because he's several, a direct because descendant. Several, well, because several U.S. presidents, including um, Kennedy, have cited Lewis's *Mere Christianity* for being books that like changed and shaped. Okay. Yeah. Their this life. is just in like a random slideshow of Google image photos. Yeah, I don't ask there's me. A picture of um, Lewis, on the other hand, I would snog because first of all, like baby Lewis, like post-war was a snack. And also here's something that a lot of people don't know. Cause when I found out, I was like, excuse me, sir. After the war. Oh, he does when slap. Lewis, okay. When Lewis returned home for about a year and a half to two years until some well-meaning older relatives found out and stepped in. He uh, had a dalliance <laughs> with an old woman with whom he was living. She put on the moves and he was like, yes, ma'am, because she was paying his rent. <laughs> and so he just <laughs> lived with her for a couple of years. Mind you, he was an atheist at the time, so he wasn't breaking any of God's rules. I, I mean, you know. In, in his mind. In that way, yeah. So he was, yeah, it was a thing. Yeah. So what is your Narnia one? The Narnian one is really only going to make sense to Anthony, because I know we had just done, like, Peter, Edmund, and Caspian recently, and we were trying to do a Susan, Lucy, and Polly yeah. and Joe one recently. So, and I don't know if maybe there's illustrations of these characters out there that you could Google them. <laughs> sure. Caspian, really, and Tyrion. Ooh, Caspian's not. rude. Wait, Caspian? That, okay, first of all, that is rude. <laughs> 
Okay, so here's Cassidy what I'm going to do, like. and you'll understand this. Who's the other ones? Rillian. Rillian is the prince in the silver chair, and Tyrion yeah. is the king in the last battle. So They're all descendants of Prince Caspian. Yes, so you kill Rillian you yeah. got, you to, have to kill put Rillian. him out of... Poor baby. He's like, had some struggles like, in his life. Like, poor baby. That, ah, oh, we didn't even get to, to, the, to the witch, honey. But anyway, so you kill Rillian just to forego all of that. You marry Caspian, because... I don't know. Then Barnes, baby. Okay. Honey. Book Caspian is supposed to be like 14. In the first book, (laughs) he gets older. He marries a star. But Ben Barnes is not 14 in Prince Caspian. That's true. I was thinking of the Voyage of the Dawn Treader when in the book he's older. It's been like three years. He's supposed to be like 17. Fine, whatever. The point is, Ben Barnes as Prince Caspian, oh. Yes, Ben Barnes as Prince Caspian is very. But also Prince Caspian is just such, he's such a delight. He loves Narnia with his entire heart and soul. And you know how I, you know, Anakin saving the universe thing, but but without the darkness, like, I just love that. Go ahead, baby, you protect your kingdom. I'll be your star I don't know, you. but the thing is you get all of that with Prince Tyrion too. And then the thing with Caspian Tyrion. is that he was very, he just felt very desperate to like, get back to the sea, keep traveling east. Like, he originally didn't want to go back to Narnia because yeah. he wanted to keep going. Yeah. He was about to give up on his devotion to his country. Yeah. Adventures. I love it. I like, go ahead, boo. And get I would just be afraid that I would always be second best to him. Hmm. He's the king. Of course you are. So what? Like, absolute Tyrion, <laughs> I feel like, yes, would still put Narnia first, but I might actually rank higher. Well, the devotion that he had to that unicorn I'm definitely gonna shows you that he's a devoted fella. I can get behind the unicorn. Because that's... I mean, that's fine. The problem with Tyrion, and I only recognize this as I got older, I'm like, I feel like your relationship <laughs> with the jewel is... Tyrion would get behind that unicorn, and I just don't think that's healthy. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> And I'm still recording. No. <laughs> that I'll cut that out. I mean, you, Are you I, sure? Whatever, I don't care. Are you I, sure? I, I love you. Are you sure? I love. I, like, I, lo- I just. I, I, I just promise. Read the last battle, like, I'll I love cut it out. So I do love Tyrion. So this is Andy right now. I, I I agree with you. Is what I would say. Like I would still make out with Caspian, but then I would okay. let him be free. And, like, little and then I would marry Tyrion. Like, don't stop recording. That's yet. true because like. She beats like the the thing that draws him back home is literally I mean, a freaking star. Also, like, <laughs> let's just are you still recording? Because I have one last yes. complaint to make. Yeah, my daughter. Go ahead. Caspian's wife never gets a name. I know. Raven Dew's daughter. I don't like excuse <laughs> I me. I need that to be the <laughs> Right. Cue the music. <laughs> You're right. She is the founder of a dynasty? There are like ten descendants? After Caspian, and his wife is never named. I mean, but his mother's never named.